Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. I'll ask it one more time. I asked it last week. I'll I'll ask it again this week. Do you want to grow up spiritually speaking? Do you want to grow up spiritually speaking? Hello and welcome to this week's Crosswalk. As we continue our series building on the basics, Pastor Clay is picking up where we left off last week in 1 Peter chapter 2. In the first 12 verses, Peter reminds us of how special we are in the eyes of God and how that makes all the difference in the world when it comes to living our lives. Christ is the big picture. Peter is driving home this fact that, hey, listen folks, it's about Christ. It all comes down to Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. It's about Christ. You got to get that in your mind. You got to get that in your life. He's the big picture. Uh, obviously, in this entire book, uh, uh, W. A. Crystal, longtime pastor, First Baptist Dallas. Uh, referred to it as the scarlet thread from Genesis to Revelation, that it's there. If you understand it, if you look at it, the story of Jesus is there from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, he, he's obviously the big picture of Scripture. He, he ought to be, uh, and it surprises me now <laughs> how often I hear that he's not, but in the church, in the body, uh, gathered and, and scattered, that he ought to be the big picture. That he ought to be the emphasis of why we come together and why we do and why those of you that serve in different positions, whether it's setup team or children's ministry or, or student, whatever, whatever it is you do, that, that he is the big picture. That's why we do what we do. And he is the big picture of this picture that we're painting today, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It really is a special time for the body. Open your Bibles this morning uh, to First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Text is on the screen as well, uh, but I uh, encourage you to open your Bible. You have an outline that fills in a couple that we looked at last week, a couple more. Uh, this, is, this is kind of how, how we can look at how we know Christ is the big picture of our life and or how we can make Christ the big picture of our life. You may be somewhere, you may be here and... The whole Jesus thing is still, eh, still weighing it out. Or you may have been following Christ for 50 years or, or anywhere in between. But Peter has something to say about where we are in this process, okay? So glad y'all are here today. I pray God would bring more and more people as we're just faithful to, to try and reach out and invite people as we can. All right, uh, last week uh, I, I covered two of these uh, ideas about Christ being the big picture. Just to bring them up real briefly uh, again. The first one last week, and that's our blanks already filled in if you happen to like to fill in blanks. There's spiritual nourishment from Christ. In, in verses uh, 1 through 3, he says, Therefore, and we, we started last week by, by filling in the last little bit of chapter 1 and seeing how they were connected to the Word of God. He says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, by the way, this is an idea he's going to come back to uh, toward the end of these verses that we're covering. The, the, this, these physical things that need to be eliminated from our lives as a follower of Jesus Christ. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it 
watch this, so that by the word you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Again, he says, if you've tasted of him, then you know how good God is. And let that taste then be just, just the beginning of, of this process of, of growing up in Christ Jesus. The, this, and he clearly says that the way every one of us do it, and it doesn't matter. You know, some people say, well, I, I, just, I just don't know the Bible. Or I just don't understand the Bible. Or I, I just get confused about the Bible. Listen, it is God's word, okay? So there's a sense that if it's an infinite God, then we can never plumb the full depths of, of God's word. So there, nobody is, a, I don't think, would be arrogant enough to say, I understand everything about this book, man. I'm, I'm an expert. I don't think anybody would be that presumptuous as to say that sort of thing, okay? But everybody's got to start. Everybody's got to start somewhere. Everybody's got to do something with what they have. I, I've told many people, Cindy knows this true, when, when the Lord was working in our life, and really began to get a hold of my life, we went to this, uh, we started attending a church, and we went to this uh, young couples. Uh, we qualified back then for young couples. We went to this young couples, like, outing, a party-like thing. And uh, at the party thing, the, the teacher of the class started uh, asking, he's like looking at different people, asking what their favorite verse of the Bible is. And I'm like, oh, please don't call me. Please don't call me. Oh, please don't call me. Please don't call me. Please don't call me. He called on me. Because <laughs> what I'm saying is I didn't know it. I didn't, and I'd grown up in church, but, but it, you know, there's a difference. And that's what, that's what Peter's saying. If you've tasted this, then something happens. Something changes in your life. And I didn't know, I told somebody the other day, I didn't know Matthew from Malachi. I didn't know any of this stuff. But you yeah, start. You start, you just, you just get, and it's developing an appetite. And, and I was thinking, you know, uh, about this, this struggle. And I said something about this briefly last week. It says, but we do, we struggle, right? Is there anybody in here that, that doesn't struggle at times with, with saying, okay, I, just, I need, to, need to have my quiet time. Why do we call it that anyway? Do you think we should be, I don't know. Anyway, I need to have my quiet time. What should I read? Should I try the lucky dip method? Uh, should I, you know, read a book? You know, what? Do, do, do y'all struggle at times? Why is it? Why do we struggle with what is the place where we'd find nourishment? I came across uh, a quote from Warren Wiersbe, who's one of my favorite commentators. And uh, I thought this was good regarding this subject matter of why we struggle sometimes with, with feeding on the Word of God, nourishing ourselves with the Word of God. Wiersbe said this. He said, sometimes children have no appetite because they've been eating the wrong things. You know what I'm saying? I am notorious for giving my grandchildren, if they come over to my house close to dinner, I'm notorious for giving them anything they want. Yeah, I do. I'm talking about if they want something to eat or whatever. Uh, and then, you know, I'm sure their parents can't understand why they're not hungry, when, you know, half an hour later when it's dinner time, when I've just given them a, a Hershey's chocolate bar. You know, you understand, I mean, right? You know, anybody that's a grandparent knows the, the reality of that. It's okay. We're allowed. We have a license to do that kind of stuff. But, but is that the case? Is it, is it perhaps that, that we are so uh, filling our lives? And, and listen, it doesn't all have to be bad, all right? But it's just the st- that we're just so filling our lives with the stuff of the world. Our, our, our particular favorite novelist or, or our particular particular favorite six shows or our, our this or our that or our stuff at work. Is it possible that we're just so filling our lives with that that 
spiritually speaking, we're, we're just not hungry. We're, we, just, we just don't want to open and begin to, to feed on it. I don't, it's just a thought. But, but if Christ is going to be the big picture of our lives, there has to be a spiritual nourishment in our lives. So maybe this is a good time to ask this again. I'll ask it one more time. I asked it last week. I'll, I'll ask it again this week. Do you want to grow up spiritually speaking? Do you want to grow up spiritually speaking? And listen, if, if I could, you don't have to do it, but, but why don't you do this? If you've got uh, uh, the outline and information sheet with you today and you were given a pen on your way in, why don't, somewhere on the back of that outline, why don't you just write that question in right now, except put it in the, in, in the, in the first person. Do I want to grow up spiritually? And if you want to get really elaborate, maybe you want to put a little box and beside it write yes, and another box, no, and another box, maybe. Did y'all ever get one of them? And I got one from a girl one time. She's put no. <laughs> that was cold. That was cold. Uh, it wasn't. Praise God, it wasn't Cindy. Uh, but do, do I really want to grow up? I, uh, there was a guy that used to come to this church. He doesn't come here anymore. I, I made him mad. And uh, I, 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 I really, I, you know, this God's on the truth, y'all. I don't really intend to make people mad, but it just happens. And sometimes I, I do, I maybe I don't intend to, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, grow up. And so there was this guy who was, was attending the church. And, um, and, and uh, Cindy and I were meeting with him, we had dinner with him, and he was telling us that he was, he was thinking about... Uh, beginning to attend another church because he wasn't married and he, and he didn't want to be married. And um, in, in a larger church, he figured maybe it was a more of a target-rich environment. He had a better shot at finding somebody. And I'm like, of course, I'm, I'm thinking, God doesn't know where you attend church. God's not able to bring some, but But anyway, so he's, tell, he's telling us this. And, and then he says, and, and, and you have to understand this. Never mind. Anyway, he says, but, he says, I'm thinking about that. He says, but I just, I just hate to leave a place where I'm already connected. And I said to him, Tom, that was not his name. Tom, you're not connected to Cross Culture Church. You show up two or three times a year. And that, that was, his, you show up two or three times a year. You don't serve. You don't give. And the only reason I knew that was because for some reason he felt like he needed to tell me that he didn't, he didn't give anything financially to the church. I said, you will not attend a life group. Tom, you're not connected to Cross Culture Church. He never came back again. And, I, you know, I've, in hindsight, maybe I should have, I don't know what else I could have done. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? Some, sometimes you just got to say, Am I, do I really want to grow up or not? Uh, that, was a, that was a lot for, for just to review the first division statement. But let's go to the second one. second one says, uh, there's a spiritual home built on Christ. Uh, let me pick it up in verse uh, 4. Listen to what he says. Okay, so, so they ought to be growing up. And then watch, he, he, he kind of changes his metaphors here. Instead of a child desiring milk, he says, verse 4, and coming to him uh, as a, coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion... 
meaning that what means Israel, that, that part of the way. I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious corner stone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. There's a spiritual house being built up. And Jesus in here, and, and uh, uh, Peter's quoting from, from Isaiah, mentioned last week, 700 years before Jesus even came. And uh, he's, he's quoting scripture verses about the Messiah and when he would, he would come. He says he's the, he's, the, he's the cornerstone. He's referred to as the cornerstone. He's referred to as the living stone. And there's this idea, as we talked about last week, that each of us individually have to build our lives up on this, this, this rock, this solid rock of Jesus Christ. And he is the cornerstone, the foundation of the, of the building that's being built. There's an individual application to that. But there's also a corporate application of that in that all of us are being built up into this, this spiritual house if you will. We, we are one stone uh, built upon, uh, on another. And he, and he refers to us, he changes it, he refers to us as, what does he call us? Living stones. You too as living stones. We talked about that, right? Our religion is not a dead religion because our God is not a dead God. He conquered death. He came out of the grave. Yes, we are commemorating his death this morning, but we are always celebrating his resurrection. We are always celebrating his life and the fact that he conquered death. And because of that, we too as living stones are being built up into this, into this house, this thing that God has has made us into. Again, uh, Warren Wiersbe had a great quote on this. He said, believers are living stones in his building. Each time someone trusts Christ, another stone is quarried out of the pit of sin and cemented by grace into the building. I I love that because that, that was my life in the pit of sin until God quarried me out and cemented me into this, this, this living building with his Grace. It's, it's a wonderful idea that you and I are being built up into this, into this living building. And so it means that there ought to be a, a relationship, a camaraderie, a, a community that ought to exist within us as a body. That, that we know, in a sense, we've got each other's back, that we're there for each other when we're hurting, that we're there for each other when we need something, that we're there for each other. And you know what that requires? That requires vulnerability. That requires each of us being willing to say, you know what, dude, I, I, I need some help with this in my life. Or I'm struggling with this, this temptation in my life. Could you come alongside of me and walk me through this? Or this, because what, we're, this, we're this house, right? Being built up together. And no, and Paul gets in this another place, no one part of the house or the body, if you will, is any more important than the other. All of them are strategically important, Right? It's a very unique thing that we have that I'm afraid we take for granted too often or don't take advantage of as we should. You, those of you who know Christ, are my brothers and sisters. And I love you. And I pray that we feel that way about each other and that there is this community within ourselves because this, this house, this living building built up, man, nothing can stand against that. Satan's attacks, nothing. Okay, here we go, real quick. Let's go on uh, to the third one, which will be the first new one this morning. There is a physical rejection of Christ. You and me, we're supposed to be maturing, supposed to be growing up in our faith because we are this, this living building that's being built up, but there is a physical rejection of Christ. Uh, the latter part of verse 7 
uh, says, but for those who disbelieve. In other words, this is for you who believe that you're being built up in this, in this living house. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, but it says, this became the very cornerstone. Whether men rejected him or not, he still became the very cornerstone. And a stone, but watch this, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble, why? Because they are disobedient to the word. Look where we're back to. They are disobe- those who stumble are disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. Um, by the way, when, when Peter says, and to this, that last, latter part of this, uh, this, and to this doom they were appointed, he is not saying that they were, uh, before they were ever created, they were appointed for this doom. Uh, there are people that may have that theological position, but that is not what he's saying. He's not saying that they, are, that they were appointed to this. In other words, he's not saying that before they were ever created, God had already decided that they were doomed. They, they had no... They had no hope at all. If, if that were the case, quite honestly, if that were the case, there's no way you could hold them responsible for their sins. If they were, if they were appointed for that at the very beginning, if God appointed that or chose them that, so that's not what he's saying. I don't believe that's what Peter's saying. I don't believe that's the teaching of Scripture. What I do believe Peter is saying is that those who choose to, as he says, reject the word, they have been, that it's been appointed that they are doomed. Do you understand the difference? In other words... In other words, in, in their rejection of the only hope there is, Jesus Christ, by rejecting him, the Jesus Christ that is revealed in Scripture, by the way, not the Jesus Christ of the Mormons, not the Jesus Christ of the Jehovah's Witnesses, not the Jesus Christ of the, uh, of the, uh, the crazy church out west that, that does, you know, no. The Jesus Christ revealed in Scripture, because they reject him, God has already appointed, God has already chosen that, that the result for them will be doom. There's no hope for them. There's no chance for them because they reject the only hope there is, Jesus Christ. And so, because they do what should be this cornerstone, what should be this, this rock that I can build my life on, instead becomes the stumbling stone that, that, they, that they, a person, trips over, literally falls flat on their, on their physical and spiritual and eternal lives because they reject the one who is actually chosen to be the cornerstone. Uh, this video, I've shown this video before. It's been a few years. It'll be new for some of you. Watch this. Watch what I'm talking about. The panel has been discussing the spirituality and the forces of God, but I also believe that there are two forces that are here with us, that we do have our, our, our God that we can depend on, but there is also a power of darkness that we do need to be aware of. And, and that's you, where the choice is. Do you begin. believe that, that you can choose between one or the other? Most most absolute definitely. Yeah. Now, now Marianne uh, Williamson says in her book, Return to Love, that we're always walking in the direction of one or the other. That all of your actions in life, either you're moving toward the darkness or you're moving toward the light. Right. She calls it fear and love. There's this wonderful book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, which talks, it, which, which is, anyway, it's a gorilla talking, but anyway. Uh, it talks about one of the points it brings out is one of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way. 
to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world that there are millions of ways to be a then human how do being you and, God? and many ways no but many paths right. to what you call God that and her path crazy. might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light but her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be on that, I mean, it, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there could possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? There isn't only one way. There is one way and only one way, and there that is through Jesus. Jesus. There couldn't possibly be with because a million you of people say in the world. There, there couldn't possibly be. Because you say, you intellectualize it and say there isn't. If no. you don't believe that, you're all buying into the lie. But that makes you right. Do you think, do you think that if you, if you are somewhere on the planet, where are you so, if you're somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have had you to live, you lived for the same purpose that Jesus came to the planet to teach us all, but you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus, you cannot get to heaven, you think? And that is covered in the scriptures, too. People are talked about that. God knows the heart. Does God care about your heart or God care about if you call his son Jesus? Well, you know... Oprah, God, Jesus cannot come back until that gospel is preached in the four corners of this earth. So, you know, figure it out. Okay, okay, I can't get into a religious argument with you. It's not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she just did. <laughs> that lady was fired up, wasn't she? Because you say so. Because you say so. <laughs> I, uh, I apologize if I burst anybody's Oprah bubble <laughs> on that video. Uh, I Listen. Listen, I, I think she's a wonderful lady. Uh, she's incredibly successful, and she's done amazing things humanitarily speaking around the world. She's, she's helped thousands of orphans and children, given millions of dollars away. I think she's a wonderful person, but she's lost. She's lost. And, and, she, and she's, she's, her doomsday is coming. And that's right. It's it's sad. It's not. And I don't. I'm not happy about that. I'm not. I'm not happy to say. I knew I was right. and Oprah was wrong. It's tragic. But but Peter says that that they're ordained to this doom because they cannot accept the idea that Jesus actually is who he claimed to be, God in the flesh, the only way of salvation. There can't possibly be only one way. Really. Well, Jesus claimed to be the one way. And so if you can prove that he was wrong, go for it. But as I've said many times, I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. That's, that's who I'm going with. But it, it, it's, a, it's a stumbling block. I can't, I can't accept this. You know, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, what time is it? Religious leaders in Jesus' day, they are a perfect example of this. Listen, they had witnessed, they had seen the miraculous works Jesus was doing. They had seen his power exhibited even to the extent where they had seen or had eyewitness testimony that, God, that Jesus, God in the flesh, had raised Lazarus from the dead. Raised, just right up on out of the dead. Just brought him back to life. And rather than accept the evidence, rather than rejoice at the evidence, rather than, than proclaim the evidence, they, listen, this is, this is mind-boggling to me, but they tried to delete the evidence. Do you remember this? John chapter 12, do you remember this? But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also. Now there's a guy that can't catch a break. He no sooner... 
comes up out of the ground before somebody's trying to throw dirt on him again. And why? Because he'd committed some terrible crime? Because he'd done something? No. Because he, he, was, he was the living exhibition of the power of God in its effect. And they couldn't handle it. They couldn't take it. They stumbled over it. Listen, maybe, maybe they didn't like the, the, the popularity that Jesus had. Maybe they didn't like being called whitewashed tombs. I don't know. But they rejected him. They, they reject the idea that this is the Messiah. This is the one. And so for him, this very cornerstone that Isaiah had written about and the, and the psalmist had written about and, and hundreds of years, all these prophets, never mind that Jesus, by the way, fulfilled every single Old Testament prophecy to its minutest detail. Fulfilled it perfectly. Never mind that. They didn't care that he had the power to... to restore sight to the blind. They didn't care that he had the power to, to make lame walk. They didn't care that he could raise the dead. All they could care about was themselves and the idea that this Jesus, this, I cannot accept that this is, this is God's plan and this is who God is sending. And so he becomes a stumbling block to them. And we, we have to understand that, that that's, that's how it is in the world, oftentimes, in which we live. The intellectuals on Mars Hill are another perfect example in Athens Paul's preaching to them, and, he's, and they've got this statue. If you're familiar with the story, he's got this statue to the unknown God. They don't even know. They've just got a bunch of gods, and, but they've got, there's got to be another one out there, and they've got the unknown God. And so Paul is saying, let me tell you who the unknown God is. And he's just preaching the gospel to them. In Acts chapter 17, he gets to where, uh, as he's winding up the sermon, he says, For he, uh, God, has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Watch this. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this. This is what it really comes down to, folks. This, this is where it always is. Jesus really is the dividing line. He... he he either is your cornerstone, you accept him as Lord, you, you declare him Lord, you live as if he's your Lord, or you reject him as a cornerstone, you t- stumble over him as the Messiah, and you accept the fact that your doom is set. Or don't accept it, but it doesn't change anything. The only thing that changes anything for anybody that's bound for hell is to recognize that Jesus Christ is the only way and to accept him as their Lord and Savior. That's the only thing that changes anything. He becomes a stumbling block. For people. But, but, one more. There's a physical rejection of Christ. And can I just say this to you? If you're here and you're like, man, it's not. If you've never, if you've never accepted him, man. I, 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 I had a conversation with, with three guys yesterday. And we went out and did some shooting. And, and, we, and we're talking along the way. And I, listen, can I just tell you, man, there's just... And I keep saying that. I've said this several times, right, all, all during the series. There's some wacky stuff happening in this world. There's some crazy stuff happening in this world. And is, is it the end? Are we, are we right at the, the, the door of the end? I don't know. But if, if not, God has missed a really good opportunity, it seems like to me, because, because it's, it's wild, man. I'm telling you, what's happening in the world is crazy. Okay, there's a physical rejection of Christ. You have to understand that. You have to just say, listen, I, I know that, but this, this is what I believe. This is who, this is who I'm following. This is who I'm going with. And then the last idea, uh, there is a rejection of the physical for Christ. For those of us who, who have made him our cornerstone, there's a, for, for others, there's a physical rejection. For us, there's a rejection of the physical for Christ. And look what, look what Peter says here, starting in verse 9, real quickly. He says, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. Because you have believed, you have obtained. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't pay for it. But you have obtained it because of Christ's sacrifice. Because you have believed in it, you've obtained your salvation. And then he says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Talked about that last week. The prophets, they wanted to know about this. They, they had a hard time understanding exactly how could, how could he be the Messiah and the, the conquering king, but yet he's going to die, Isaiah 53. You know, how's, how's this stuff going to happen? It was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were not serving themselves. In other words, it's, it's not going to happen. Basically saying it's not going to happen in your lifetime. You're not going to understand it all. They weren't serving themselves but you. You know, that's probably a good place to stop and say, I just had this idea. Um, you know, in the daily operation of life, maybe sometimes we need to accept the idea that maybe we're not serving our, ourselves. That maybe it's somebody else. Oh, I'm reading the wrong part, aren't I? But it was good. See, I can just preach from anything, man. You just, just give me a verse. I was reading the wrong 10, 11, 12. And y'all, the rest of y'all just going on like, uh, like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> but it was good. Can I just follow with that point? As long as I'm there. <laughs> that maybe like the prophets, we need to sometimes say, I, I, what in the world? What in the world is going on in my life? I don't know. Maybe it's not for me. Maybe it's not going to be revealed to me like it wasn't revealed to the prophets. We're in the midst of our suffering and our heartaches and our crying and our moaning. And, and I, don't, I don't mean to be, uh, you know, I'm not discarding the, the real pain. But I'm just saying maybe sometimes uh, if we'll listen clear enough, maybe God's saying the same thing to us that he was saying uh, to the prophets. They were not serving themselves, but it was for somebody else. That's just a thought. Now, uh, where were we? <laughs> but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Isn't that an amazing thing? So that you may, watch this, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Now watch this, here we go, he's coming back to that idea we looked at earlier in chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in... The thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of salvation. You notice if, if you were here uh, a couple weeks ago, this came up in chapter 1, uh, Peter again goes back to this idea of aliens and strangers. Do you all remember that? He's used that term before, aliens and strangers. What is he doing? He's again uh, bringing home this, this, this separation, this idea that we were not made for this. That, that this is, we're here, yes, we're here, we're in this world, and we can have, we can have a, 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 a wonderful life and a grand life and a fantastic life, but this is not what we were made for. We were made for something. We are aliens and strangers. We're just passing through this land. He brings that up again because he's saying to you, listen, you can invest your life in this stuff. You, you can. You can invest it in getting all you can, while you can, as long as you can, until you kick the can. You can do that if you want. But you have to understand that, what's, what's, what am I saying? All this stuff is destined for dust. Or, he says, you might consider investing in the kingdom of God, which has eternal, lasting value, and therefore, rationally speaking, is a much better investment of your time, your effort, your energy, your everything. 
Wouldn't it be much better to invest in something that will last forever versus something that's here today and gone tomorrow? That's, that's what, he's, what he's saying. You've got to choose to invest wisely in where it really matters. That's the call for followers of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Uh, Peter's, he's not necessarily real specific, but he's very direct uh, when, when he, he says in there, Keep your behavior, well, he says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. It's the physical, right, versus the spiritual. You know, lust is a word that we tend to associate only with, with sexual things. And, 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 and lusting in, in, in that way, we tend to think of it as, as sexual uh, sin or sexual desires that God would not want us to have. Not that God doesn't want us to have sexual desires, but he wants us to have sexual desires with our spouse, okay? Um, but, uh, but we tend to think of lust that way, but, but you can lust after a lot of stuff, folks. You can lust after a lot of stuff. I, I looked a definition up on, online for lust. Uh, dictionary.reference.com said lust is a passionate or overmastering desire or craving. I think it's a great definition. A passionate or overmastering desire or craving. When I read that definition, it made me think of uh, Jesus' words. Do you remember this? I think it's Matthew uh, chapter 6, I think it is. Yeah, uh, when, where Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Can't do it. Can't do it. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And, and you truly, in the con- you, can, you could say God and the, or the things of the world. You can't do it. And so to lust after something, it, it, could be, it could be position, it could be power, it could be uh, resources, it could be money, wealth, it could be a person, it could be an addiction, it, could be, it can be anything. But it is to crave that thing that God does not want us to crave. And why? Why does he want us to crave it? He created this world, he, he gave us all this stuff. Why, why wouldn't God want us to crave it? Because what is it doing? What is it making our master? It's making the flesh our master. I got to have it. I got to do this. I got to do that. I, I got to have that, that person. I got uh, ex- to do that, that, that. And God is always trying to get us to point where? There it is. He already called it alien and strange. Always trying to get us to focus on the eternal. And this fleshly does battle with the spiritual because it's like, hey, yeah, look at all this stuff. Take this. Enjoy this. Be involved in that. And listen, I've said this a million times. I'll keep saying it. You can enjoy your life, but there's just no doubt about it. There is a call for us to live differently, and there are things that we are to abstain from. That's what he clearly says. We are to abstain from. Listen, this is so cool. In verse, uh, in, uh, in verse 5, I think he called us a, a holy priesthood. Here in verse 9, he calls us a royal priesthood. You ever think about it? You know, in the, in the Old Testament, in the lineage of, of uh, priests, in the Old Testament, in, in the, Israel's history, a king was never allowed to be a priest also. You and I have the privilege of being both. We are royalty because we have been adopted by the king of kings and the lord of lords. But we are also priests, he says. Priests. These intermediaries, if you will. Uh, I, I didn't know this, but I came across this. The Latin word for priest is pontifex, which means bridge builder. That, that's you and me, folks. 
We're, we're building bridges into the world around us to attempt to say, listen, come over, come across. There is a God who loves you. He has made a way that you can be forgiven and can be adopted into the family of God. But you have to understand it's literally his way or the highway. There, there's, there's no other way. You have to come through him. And I've argued this plenty of times with people before. It only makes sense. And I, and I would say this to Oprah it, with all due respect. Oprah, if you, if you built a house... No doubt you build a grand one, a great one, a magnificent one, a, a whatever. Oprah, who has the right to decide how many entrances to your house there are? Oprah knows, right? Oprah would say, me. I'm the one that decides how many entrances there are into my house. Then Oprah, why would you deny God the right that you so freely understand that you have? If God says there's one way, there's one way. Because God has the right to decide that it's his house. It's his eternity that he's created for us. And by the way, sidebar, I got to quit. I know we're, we're, we're going to finish this service gloriously just commemorating what Christ has done for us. But I want to say this. The answer to Oprah's question about the person, because y'all ask me this. Sometimes people say, what about that person that, that grows up on the other side of the earth, that lives their whole life, that, that uh, never hears the name of Jesus, uh, but, but tries to live their life the way Jesus would, would, uh, would want them to live? First off, nobody does that. I don't care who it is. Nobody lives their life the way Jesus wants them to. They're, they're still a sinner. But what about that person that never hears the name of Jesus? You're telling me that, that God would condemn them to hell? Yep. Here's, now, here's why. I've got two points to make of this, and we're going to close out, and I'm off my sermon, but that's okay. Here, here's here's what, what we have to understand. People do not go to hell because they reject Jesus. Does that shock you? People go to hell because they're sinners. That's why people go to hell. Rejecting Jesus is simply, now you, now you stumbled over. You, you're rejecting the cornerstone. So, so you're, you're appointed to doom now. I mean, it's your doom. Uh, unless you repent, gets, uh, I think a person can. But he's just saying that it's, it's doom for you because you're rejecting him. People go to hell because they're sinners. And what does the Bible say about all people? Say it. Come on. Romans 3.23, you know it. All have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Not all in North America. Not all in Saudi Arabia. All everywhere have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. And so people are bound for hell because they're sinners. But wait. God said, I'm going to build this house out of living stones of people that will believe in me. I'm going to build this glorious house. I'm going to empower that glorious house. To go out and take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. If Oprah wants to point the finger at somebody, she ought to point it at us, at the church. If we're not going, if we're not sending, if we're not giving to make it possible for people on the other side of the earth who've never heard the name of Jesus, make it possible for them to hear the name of Jesus since he is the only way, then that's on us. So let that be a challenge to each and every one of us to say, I, I, I must go, I must give, I must be a part of this. Because eternity is is what's at stake here for billions of people. Christ is the big picture. As we've heard today, it all comes down to Jesus Christ. Sadly, some people refuse to believe who Jesus Christ is and what he can do for them. They reject God's truth. Their rejection is the pathway to their own doom and destruction. Those of us who have come to Christ have a different destination. What a joy it is to know that we have been called out of the darkness into His marvelous light. We can certainly find hope in who we are in Christ Jesus. 
We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross Culture Church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to leave. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.